Good morning, everyone. I'm Stacy Rasgun, and I cover the U.S. semiconductor sector here at Bernstein. Before we get started today, I'd like to say a word on how our interactive Q&A will work for the session today. We're using a service called Pigeonhole. There's a link on the left side of your screen to access it. When you click on that Pigeonhole link, it'll open up a new window in your browser. The video will continue in the prior browser. You can submit your own questions at the top in the box. You can also vote on questions that have already been submitted by pressing the up triangle next to any one of them. So please do go ahead and click on that link now. You can submit questions for, for Lisa beginning right now and at any time during the presentation, and we will leave time for Q&A at the end. Also, we're working with our partner ProSensus to do live polling on, on the presentation to gauge investor sentiment on A&D after the session ends. A link to ProSensus is also on the left of your screen. Again, this will be a live poll with immediate access to the results for those that choose to submit. So do please take the 60 seconds afterwards to fill it out. Okay, now that all that's out of the way, it's my great honor to introduce our guest this morning, the president and CEO of Advanced Micro Devices, Dr. Lisa Su. So AMD, I, I think there's no company in my coverage and, and probably no other company in the entire industry that fully encompasses the true meaning of transformation quite like this company does. It is not that long ago that the question of long-term viability was an honest debate. The stock traded at a sub $2 price at that point. But sometimes it takes adversity to bring out the best in us. And during the during that period, the company placed, I would say, some well-considered and shall we say even gutsy bets on their forward product portfolio. They redoubled their efforts on new architectural innovations, returned to a focus on high performance. They turned their process technology from an anchor to a set of wings, and they're now in a leadership position on that front. The balance sheet is now pristine, solidly net cash. The overall company is now consistently profitable. And they've gone fully on the offensive now with the primary controversy no longer on whether they're going to succeed in taking share, but rather how much they're going to take and how quickly it's going to happen. And our guest today has been here for all of this. She's been leading the company for the past five and a half years as this transformation has unfolded. And I'm sure she's going to tell us today why she thinks that they're just getting started. So with that, it gives me great pleasure to welcome Dr. Lisa Sue with us today. Lisa, thank you so much for joining us today. Great. Thank you, Stacy. Thanks for having us. And uh, we're, we're happy to be here. Great. So Lisa, in this format, I do like to stay away from near-term stuff if I can. Today, given what's going on, I'm not sure I can avoid it. But before we dive in there, I do want to start a little higher level and, and more open-ended. So again, you're, you're in your sixth year of tenure as, as CEO with some admittedly re remarkable changes in the profile of the business over that period. I guess, can you just talk a little about the position the company was in when you took over? Um, what challenges did you anticipate at the time and, and, and what actually surprised you? What, what, was, what was harder and... and, and what was easier maybe even versus what you would expect it. And what were the, what are the guiding principles now that are determining your path um, as we go forward from here? Yeah, absolutely. Well, again, uh, thank you, Stacy, for having us. You know, when you, you know, look at AMD, I mean, we're a company that's 51 years old and we've always been about um, technology and pushing the envelope and we've had great engineers. And, um, you know, what I saw, you know, certainly, uh, when I became CEO, when I joined the company in 2012 and when I became CEO in 2014 is um, we, we, we perhaps um, did not have a strong execution um, you know, bent in the sense that you know, when you're in technology, you, you can't miss a product cycle. And uh, you know, we had had you know, a few missteps. So you know, as we looked at what we had to do, and it was you know, not just me, but you know, the, the, the team together, we said, look, this is a, a long game. Uh, we have to play a long game. Um, it is, you know, a five-year journey with any architecture, and mm -hmm. that doesn't even necessarily mean that you've hit the peak. 
Um, but what we've said is um, we're a technology company. We're, we're great at engineering when we make the right bets. And we had to make some you know, important decisions. And so um, you know, our focus was around product execution, um, around manufacturing strategy. We needed to get a consistent manufacturing strategy around balance sheet. So it gave us enough time uh, to, uh, to do what we needed to do. And then, you know, there's, there's a lot of earning uh, customers trust and that was a big piece of it. So, you know, when I look at the, uh, the various pieces of uh, what has been important is, you know, I'm, I'm incredibly proud of the engineering team because, you know, we have built uh, what I believe is a very repeatable um, execution machine. And, and that doesn't mean we're going for home runs every generation, but it means we're going for, you know, doubles and triples that keep adding up. Mm-hmm. And um, that's what you see. That's what you see with the Zen architecture. You know, the first generation of the Zen architecture was good. Um, the second generation is, you know, I, I think great. Um, and, and frankly, we're getting ready to launch the third generation of Zen, which will be even better. But that, that was the way we thought about it. This is going to be, you know, a multi-generational, multi-year journey. Um, you know, on the, on the back end of it, uh, we had to fix a balance sheet. We've taken down a lot of debt. And um, we've also had to really earn customers' uh, trust and belief in our roadmap. And, and I'm, I'm proud to say that we've done, you know, quite a bit of that. But as you started with, you know, we're just getting started. I mean, this is, uh, technology is absolutely a long game. And um, as, uh, as we think about, you know, sort of what we need to do, there's a lot of opportunity to continue to consistently grow the company. Got it. Thank you for that. Um, I do want to get a little bit into the near term now as much as I, as I don't want to, but I think it needs to be, um, obviously COVID has been a huge, um, issue, um, on a multiple dimensions for, for everybody in the industry right now. Just talk a little bit how it's impacting your business, right? Both from a revenue standpoint, as well as supply chain, um, uh, perspective, uh, what, what, what are you seeing right now and how is your visibility trending? Yeah, no, there's no question that this year has been about, you know, managing through, you know, the various phases of, uh, of COVID-19 across the world. Um, I think in the first quarter, uh, we had a lot of focus on what was going on in China and what was going on in Asia with the supply chain. Um, I would say that we work through those issues relatively quickly. Um, I think our supply chain is, is relatively resilient. And so, uh, you know, that hasn't been much of an issue here in the second quarter. Um, I know some of our customers are continuing to work through, uh, you know, some component issues. But overall, um, I would say that um, the supply chain, although there have been lots of uh, moving pieces, has has actually ended up, um, you know, relatively resilient. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we look at the demand environment, uh, there are a bunch of puts and takes, right? So, you know, the first quarter we saw weakness in China, particularly around um, offline channels and places where uh, you know you needed to have stores open. Um, that's recovered nicely uh, here in the second quarter. Um, as we look at the overall demand environment, I would say that the demand for computing has been uh, relatively good. Um, you know, we see strength in cloud data centers. Uh, we see people accelerating some of their demand. You know, if you think about um, you know collaboration, you know what we're doing here. Um, if you think about just resiliency of the infrastructure for work from home, uh, there's been uh, strong demand there. And there's actually been, um, you know, strong demand in the PC uh, segment. And, you know, we, we looked at it as, is it, is it a very short-term thing? Um, you know, it has, you know, continued to be, um, you know, stronger than perhaps one might expect for, you know, the second quarter, um, you know, given typical seasonality. Uh, but overall, we've seen some positives. Um, you know, we continue to watch for uh, some demand softness. Um, you know, there is you know, a thought process that the second half, you might see some consumer demand softness. Um, I think it's too early to call that yet, uh, but that's certainly something that we're watching, uh, you know, very closely and, you know, just looking at how, 
you know, business business environments go and, and how CapEx spending will go in some of the uh, in some of the businesses that are more impacted by uh, um, you know, by, you know, the macroeconomic conditions, but, but overall, I would say it's been um, a very dynamic environment, but, um, you know, we've been able to manage through it pretty well on both the supply and the demand side. Got it. Got it. That's helpful. Thank you. I want to move to some of the, the, the product stories now. Um, I think I want to start with client. Um, you've done very well in, in desktop, um, especially in the, in the DIY market. I think overall, if I just use the mercury data as, as a proxy, I mean, your shares, probably doubled or more off the bottom. I think your ASPs have probably doubled or tripled off the bottom. Um, what is the, is, the, is that the full opportunity within desktop? Like, are you saturated at this point within the DIY market? Like how much more opportunity is there for you to, to, to generate more upside on that piece of the market, um, whether through share or pricing or both? Yeah, you know, actually, uh, it's a very interesting, you know, way of looking at it because if you look at the PC market, I mean, the PC market has um, has really ended up being a, a very strong market overall. I mean, if you think about it, thirty billion dollars of uh, of some uh, of processors are are being sold um, a year, and you know, for us, uh, we we were quite underrepresented. Now, if you look at the share progression for us in the PC market. Uh, starting with the desktop DIY market, that is where uh, we have seen the strongest uptake. So, you know, our market share is quite strong in the DIY market. And the reason for that is, you know, frankly, the, the people who build their own computing systems are um, purists in terms of technology, right? They buy the best processor, they do all the research, they go on to, you know, Tom's Hardware and non-tech and, and figure out what's the best value. And, and so we've done very well. Uh, I don't believe we're all at all, you know, "Quote unquote saturated," though I think we're we're actually um, when you look at desktop, um, there's a DIY market, um, you know, for enthusiasts, um, and then we see you know system integration, which is another you know important part of the market where people you know buy pre-built you know specialty systems. Uh, we see desktop OEM you know as an opportunity for us, which is part of the larger OEM business. Um, I think we're very pleased with our uh, desktop competitive position. I mean, it's, it's extremely strong. Whether you're talking about at the very very high end. Uh, with what we do with 16 core processors, or even, you know, we recently introduced um, some, uh, you know, sort of more mainstream processors at a hundred bucks or so. So um, I, th I think desktop is a good market. I think it will um, continue to be a share opportunity for us. And, um, you know, we view it as an anchor of our competitiveness because we're winning the hearts and minds of people who are, you know, really computing savvy. And, and that's, that's important for the rest of the business. Got it. And how does this feed in, into notebooks? So notebooks a different kind of market. It's primarily an, 100% an OEM market rather than a DIY. The gains have been more modest there. Obviously the roadmap for notebook has been a little behind desktop as well. You've just introduced new products. What can we expect there in terms of like share expectations as well as ASPs? We haven't seen the same kind of ASP lift in notebook either. Is there opportunity there? Do you expect that to play out ultimately the same way that we've seen in desktop? Yeah, Stacey, the, the way to think about it is uh, we were actually very deliberate in how we rolled out our roadmap. Um, you know, the idea is, look, we can't do it all at one time. And, and frankly, that's not, not the best way to introduce things. And so we prioritize server and desktop first um, from a performance um, capability standpoint. Um, and then, you know, Notebook is a, is a large market. And, and frankly, Notebook is what is the, um, the most exciting part of the market right now, because, you know, everybody wants to buy a notebook, right? We've seen that shift, that notebook is actually, um, you know, quite a bit stronger than uh, the desktop business, just, mm -hmm. just given, you know, people want the flexibility. 
And uh, we've made good, steady progress, actually. I'm, I'm very pleased with our notebook business. Um, I think, you know, this year with the introduction of our uh, Zen 2-based uh, notebooks with Renoir, uh, we are extraordinarily competitive. Um, it's also now three years into, you know, sort of the uh, platform cycle for OEMs. And so the OEM business requires, you know, one that we work closely with our partners, you know, HP, Lenovo, Dell, the, the rest of the OEMs. It also requires that, you know, retail channels get to know us and get to know the quality of the product. And it requires, you know, sort of uh, maybe the less expert users, sort of the regular PC buyer um, to also know AMD. And um, I would say that we've made great progress here, but we are, um, you know, uh, a little bit, um, I would say, um, you know, time shifted from the desktop story. And so I do believe that there is uh, strong opportunities uh, for us to grow a notebook. Um, I think that's especially true when you look at our mix of business in notebook right now, it's, it's very consumer focused. So um, a lot of people know AMD from a consumer standpoint, and we are investing heavily in the commercial part of the business. Um, and when we look at some of the new platforms coming out from our partners like HP and Lenovo, we're actually really excited about our commercial lineup. And, um, you know, I see that as a, another, you know, multi-year, you know, growth vector. And I, I think it really stems from the product competitiveness, but then also the trust that the customer set has in, you know, the AMD roadmap and the AMD brand really selling in, um, in commercial as well as consumer. Got it. What does um, uh, the competitive environment look like um, as Intel starts to ramp 10 nanometers in a, in a more deliberate way. It seems like they've finally got that process to the point where at least it's good enough that they're doing it. They've got Tiger like coming out in the second half, competing directly with Renoir. Like, how do you see that that sort of competitive environment playing out? Yeah, so look, we always count on our competitors being um, strong. And, you know, we've been, uh, you know, sort of thinking that 10 nanometer would be the, uh, the competitive point for quite some time. Um, our roadmap is very strong as well. And um, I think we have, you know, again, back to this uh, track record of multi-generational, you know, capability and being very um, dependable for the OEMs. So I, I understand that the competition is going to be stiff. Um, I think we feel very good about what we have beyond Renoir. And, uh, you know, so the, uh, the competitive environment from our standpoint, you know, continues to look uh, solid over the next couple of years. Let's talk a little bit about that, that, that roadmap. Um, and I'm going to fold in one of the questions that's actually at the top of the list on, 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 from, from the investors watching. Um, but Renoir at this point is on seven nanometer, um, and you've been sort of first to that node. I think you've talked about Zen 4. I'm not sure what the code name is at this point, but Zen 4 is supposed to be on five. Um, I don't know that you've given, I, I think from the analyst day, it kind of said sometime before 2022, I, I, I think is what the timeline said. There's been some press reports overnight um, that TSMC is accelerating uh, five nanometers in the second half of 2020 and that AMD is, is, is potentially doing that. Can you just give us maybe a little bit more of your views on, on the timing of roadmap for Zen 4, especially as it relates to five nanometers in process? Yeah, well, that, that's a little bit far out, Stacey. So um, what I would I say more is- More generally, like anything you can talk about in terms of like how you're viewing the process roadmap as it may as yeah. it your competitiveness. Yeah, so uh, being on leading edge process technology is important for us. Uh, we've always believed that, you know, as long as we're sort of uh, close, um, mm -hmm. I think we're good. Uh, from the standpoint of, you know, where we see five nanometer, I think five nanometer is an important node. Um, it will be, you know, one that we will use um, quite heavily in our roadmap. Um, I'm not ready to talk about timing yet, but I will say, 
that Zen 4 is, you know, deep in design and we're very collaborative with TSMC. You know, the way um, to think about it is the, um, the process nodes usually start with mobile and mobile is usually a simpler process um, from the standpoint of, you know, just the, the, the performance it's trying to, uh, trying to get. And, um, and then, you know, we come in with high performance features and um, our collaboration with TSMC has given us uh, a lot of capability in optimizing for high performance. So yes, uh, five nanometer will be important. Uh, Zen 4, as well as our, you know, GPU roadmap, we'll, we'll be using five nanometer, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk about timing as we get a little bit closer. Okay. okay. And then share targets. I'm, I'm going to get to the server share target in a moment when we talk about servers. But I don't know that you've ever actually given like a concrete share target in client. Although I think historically, your shares peaked at what were your notebooks were probably what high teens, close to 20. Desktops were probably in the mid 20s, maybe. How do you think about the evolution of current share targets? Can, can we work toward or even, you know, potentially even exceed those? Is there any reason why we couldn't get back to share targets that look like that? You know, a couple of years ago, I think we our our commentary was look, there's there's no reason we shouldn't get back to historic share targets, and that was when we were you know let's call it in the low double digit range. Mm -hmm. um, if you look at our share today in both desktop and notebook, we're now you know approaching that high teens uh, range. Um, I think the way we think about the market now, we don't have a you know let's call it. A, a cap on our share. I, I don't think there's a belief that, hey, if we get to 20%, you know, that's all we can get. I, I don't think that's the way we think. I think we think that um, the products are really, really good. I mean, they are best in class in, um, in many aspects. Um, the relationships are really good. Uh, we have work to do to get people more familiar with AMD. So, um, you know, we recognize that there's a go-to-market effort that uh, has to layer on top of um, all the good technical work, but I, I don't, I don't see a particular share, um, you know, you know, target. Uh, what I see is continued growth. And, you know, we believe that the PC market can grow for us, the, the PC market um, can grow, uh, even though the overall market may not grow, we think our revenue can grow, you know, let's call it, you know, mid teens over the next three or four years. So that, that implies, you know, uh, a, a certain amount of growth in, in the market share. Okay. Got it. So bigger, bigger slice, even if the pie gets smaller. Hopefully the pie doesn't get too much smaller. Actually, there's some that are saying that the pie might, you know, get bigger again because everybody needs, uh, needs more PCs. You know, the idea of but two in the last, you know, eight weeks. So maybe I, I appreciate that. I hope they were AMD Stacy, but yeah. uh, <laughs> no, look, I, I, I think there is a view that uh, PCs have actually seen a, um, a resurgence, you know, when you think about just how important they are. Right. I mean, they enable so many things. And, and so this whole, um, you know, this, this, this idea that you need one PC per person, not one PC per household, um, mm -hmm. I think is um, a longer term trend that, uh, that we're watching as well. Okay. Let, let's shift over to servers. So obviously, I think when investors think about the investment case in AMD, that's probably at the top of the list. I think it makes sense. It, it's the area where your market share was the lowest. I mean, it was not that long ago, it was almost zero. I mean, we're not there anymore, right? It's, it's been good. Um, and I think when people are looking for the forward, I mean, certainly that's where the biggest opportunity is. I mean, you launched Rome. When was Rome launched? August, I think, last year. So it's- Yep. Yes, that's right. August 19. Uh, more advanced and, and actually better product than Naples. And you've been sort of launched, you've been on the Zen architecture now within service, second, second, second generation, but overall about three and a half years. I guess, can you talk a little bit 
about what's changed from Naples to Rome? Like how has the, the customer uptake of Rome been different from Naples? And what can we expect um, as we drive to Milan, which I, my understanding is Milan's supposed to come out, I think Forza told me four to five quarters after Rome, which would kind of put Milan kind of into this year um, competing against ice. Like how should we sort of think about the progression across those um, different generations of parts um, as you drive toward your share target? I, th I think the share target right now is still low double digits by the, you can give, you can, you can give us your view on where the share on, on the, on the targets, but maybe a little bit on, on, on that progression would be helpful. Sure. So no question data center is, is uh, the most, um, you know, uh, strategic part of our business. And, you know, the way I look at data center is, you know, again, I said, you know, it takes like five years to really see an architecture, you know, bloom and, and we're a little bit more than halfway through that. Um, from our viewpoint, um, we've actually seen very good progress in the server market, uh, although it's been steady and some have said, well, why isn't it faster? Um, I think the way to think about it again is, um, you know, we're not looking for, Hey, let's take share at a point in time. Um, we're looking at how do we build um, really a franchise around, um, you know, people optimizing and designing to our Epic processors. So Naples was a good product. Um, it really helped build the ecosystem. And in Naples, what we saw is we had a lot of customer interest, but they were kind of doing, um, you know, sort of trying us out, you know, understanding um, how the AMD architecture works. And, you know, they used us on, um, on some instances. Um, what we're seeing in Rome, you know, I really do see Rome as, first of all, it's an extremely competitive product. Um, when you look at it versus uh, Naples, as well as versus the competition, um, you know, it's up to double the performance in, uh, in certain workloads. And so, you know, it's, it's positioned very, very well. Um, what we see across the market is, um, you know, on, in the cloud data center market, we're seeing, um, you know, just significant interest in both uh, public facing instances, as well as uh, internal workloads uh, for some of the largest cloud uh, vendors. Uh, we see, um, you know, good uptake in enterprise, and then, you know, we're winning a lot, you know, in HPC. So when I look at the progression of the server business, it's actually going, you know, a bit like what you saw in the PC business, um, but it's taking a, a bit of a longer time, just given that the enterprise business tends to move a little bit slower. Um, that being the case, um, you know, what we see is really good signs of, um, you know, customers realizing the value proposition. Like what makes me happiest is when, you know, a customer says, wow, you know, I can see that and I want to now use you on all of these other workloads. And, and that's, that's sort of the phase that we're in with Rome. Um, it's going to be a workhorse for us, you know, even beyond this year, we're, uh, we, you know, we believe Rome has a lot of applicability. Mm -hmm. um, I think Milan adds, uh, Milan is our Zen 3 based um, product. It'll be our third generation of Epic. Um, it is doing very well in the labs. It's doing very well in, um, in uh, early, you know, customer uh, uh, trials. And, uh, you know, we see it at the end of this year, sort of on, on that uh, track of, you know, we said four to five quarters. Uh, we, we should be starting to ship at, in the fourth quarter. Got it. What is, what is the value proposition um, that you're doing? Is it, is it just more more cores, more I.O., more memory bandwidth? Is it something broader than that in terms of how you're, you're, you're providing to your customers? Like yeah, customers so, yeah, if you look, look at the value proposition for Rome, um, it is more cores. Um, it is uh, more memory bandwidth. Um, it's uh, you get to, you know, do, the, do your... Um, optimization. So, you know, we're very flexible in how uh, customers, um, you know, choose to put things together. 
Um, if you're more IO intensive, you're gonna really like Rome because you get a chance to connect a lot of IO to, um, to your choice of CPUs. If you're very CPU intensive, you're gonna really like Rome because you have um, a lot of cores uh, to deal with if you're very CPU intensive. Uh, and I think the, the, the important piece of it is, um, you know, people don't understand exactly how much optimization that can be done in the data center environment. So uh, we see large cloud providers now, you know, sort of optimizing um, their uh, software and their capabilities to, you know, to make Rome operate better. And so we're actually seeing, um, you know, improvements as we go through deployments. And, and that's, that's really important. So I, I think the, um, you know, the key there is, um, you know, continuing to work with our customers, continuing to um, expand the number of workloads. Um, you know, our goal is, uh, you know, not to have a small share of a customer's business, but actually, um, you know, be um, a large portion of their business because the value proposition is strong. And so that's, that's what we're working on in, in the server business. Got it. So I do want to touch on the share question because this is one that is top of mind. So you've had this um, share target, which is at the time was, was I think mid single digit end of 18 and then low double digit kind of middle of, of this year. I, I don't actually like this share target. I don't like how it's defined. Um, it, it is what it, it is. What it is. I'm, I'm not sure you like it either, frankly. But, by the way, Stacey, I'm not sure I like it either because we yeah. keep talking about it every yeah. time we talk. Um, but yes, please ask so, your question. Just in, in general, like how, how should investors just in general be thinking about the trajectory of, of, of share gain from here? Because it, it, it has at least been steady. You've been taking share every quarter, yeah. you know, here and there, but every quarter for three years, like we, we've seen share gains. Um, and it hasn't necessarily inflected, but it has been very steady and it's been up every single quarter. How should we think about the trajectory of that as Milan rolls in, as, as new innovations come in, as, as the, the process, I, I think the, the process gap probably stays there as you move over to, to, to seven plus and then to five. How should we be thinking about that? Yeah, so um, let us talk about the share target because I, yeah. I do want to make sure that we're clear about that. So um, what we were trying to do is give some idea of what the length of the cycle would be. And that was, you know, the reason for the share target. Um, and our, you know, share target was actually 10% uh, by the second quarter of 2020. Or, you know, it was four to six quarters after launch. And, um, you know, six quarters is the second quarter of 2020. Uh, we're on track to that. You know, we have good visibility to that. I think we feel good about, um, you know, what we're seeing. Um, in terms of how you calculate share, it does depend a lot on the TAM. And so, you know, without getting into all the gory details, um, I, I think you can calculate it different ways. What we're trying to do is show a trajectory. Now, um, let's talk about sort of where we see the business going. Um, I actually believe 2020 is an inflection point for the server business. Um, I, I feel it. And I feel it as it relates to, um, you know, customers now giving AMD the mind share to you know, take some of their highest priority workloads to uh, to Rome, and and so we're working very hard on that. You've seen one quarter. I think as we go through the second quarter and the second half of the year, um, we're going to transition from share targets to uh, more of a you know percentage of AMD revenue because that'll give you you know a better idea of um, of the progression. Um, but you know, overall, look, I, I feel good about it. I mean, I this is a a multi year journey. Um, we have. You know, beyond Zen 3, we have Zen 4 and Zen 5 in the pipeline. Um, I think customers see the value of, of having us um, in their data center. And, uh, you know, we appreciate that. And so, uh, you know, we're going to continue 
to um, to make progress. And you know, our goal is to you know earn the repeat business, you know, not just the business of today. So, um, you know, the uh, the server business will continue to be very strategic. Um, I probably won't give you another share target, um, but uh, <laughs> what we did say though. Um, and you know, it gives you an idea of what we think the size of the business is, you know, can be. When we did our financial analyst day um, a couple of months ago, uh, we said, uh, you know, we saw the server or the data center business for us, um, you know, being you know upwards of thirty percent of overall AMD, and today it's about mid-teens, so it's going to grow um, significantly over the next uh, three or four years. Right. So that data center business is not just CPUs; that includes GPUs as, as well. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing on the data center GPU front? And, and this is a business that we only just started to see it layer in a little bit like last year. And, 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 and like, give us a little bit of idea of the applications that are driving it. Um, and maybe even some of the differentiation that you, you bring versus, again, this is another market where there's another sizable incumbent that you're, that you're coming in. So what do you bring into the table on this and kind of where is that business today? Where is it going? Yeah. So High performance GPUs are, um, are very strategic um, for the way we think about the business uh, in data center. And, you know, the way to say it is um, the business is, is still relatively small. So, you know, our data center business is predominantly CPUs with a sliver of uh, GPUs. Um, we had some early wins and, um, you, know, the, you know, it's been public uh, what uh, we've seen in cloud gaming with, um, with Google and Stadia. Uh, we've had some other, you know, cloud gaming, desktop as a service uh, type uh, type wins. Um, when you look, um, you know, more broadly at, um, you know, the business, um, we see that the linkage between um, the design of the uh, server CPU and the data center GPU can actually bring a lot of synergy. And so um, we're quite proud of our high performance computing wins um, in uh, the large supercomputer bids. Uh, we've won um, two out of the three uh, large supercomputers for the for the U.S. at Oak Ridge National Labs and Lawrence Livermore. Uh, these are very very large um, installations. They're they're both aiming to be sort of the uh, the top of the top 500 supercomputing list when they come out. And um, you know we won those as a result of yes our CPU roadmap, but also um, uh, not just our GPU roadmap, but how we put those two together. So. Um, you know, I think we're going to see more optimization of the components um, as we go forward. I think HPC is a, a very important market for us. Um, it's one that is also very technical. And so people will buy based on um, what they see in the technology. Uh, and then we also view, you know, um, machine learning and AI as an opportunity for us, um, albeit, uh, you know, we have some work to do to get the software in um uh, in, you know, sort of shape for, for the ML opportunity. Got it. Can we talk a little bit about those hyper, those HPC opportunities, Frontier and El Capitan? Um, how should we think about timing and opportunity size? And, and even if, I don't know if it makes sense to think about it this way, but the CPU versus the GPU contribution, it does sound like it's really the two of them that was driving the win in the first place. Like, how do we think about those opportunities? Yeah, so the uh, the timing of those um, installations are um, are you know fairly public. Um, you you will see Frontier in the latter part of 2021, so late next year, and um, you know those will like I said those be relatively large installations, so that ramp will go quickly. Um, the uh, the business is actually uh, more heavily weighted towards GPUs. If you look at the the, the ratio, it's it the, the ratio is such that it's more heavily weighted towards GPUs. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, you know, it's um, hardcore engineering, so it's going to be a ton of work 
um, to get it done, but we are, uh, we are extremely excited about it. Um, the uh, Lawrence Livermore opportunity is a early 2023 installation. So the majority of that revenue for us will come in 2022. So, you know, you can see uh, we have a, a nice growth path that will be meaningful for the mm -hmm. GPU business um, in 2021 and 2022, just based on uh, these two large installations. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, the way to think about it is, you know, winning these are like winning like the Halo products. And mm -hmm. so um, it's, it's really good validation for our products. You know, obviously these products are still in development, mm -hmm. um, but the, uh, the validation as we talk to now um, you know, other opportunities um, in, in the space and uh, certainly, you know, commercial supercomputing, you know, as well, um, I think it's just good validation. And you know, there's a lot about that roadmap that we have uh, yet to disclose. So we, we started a piece of that with our um, uh, compute optimized architecture at the financial analyst day. Uh, you'll hear some, hear some more about that as we go through the next number of quarters, but it's a big investment. Um, it's another big strategic investment that uh, that we expect to pay off, you know, over the next five years, but not necessarily over the next two quarters. That's the yeah. that's the way to think about it. Is this the primary reason that you've bifurcated like the gaming architecture and the data center architecture in GPU? So we've got RDNA in gaming. Is it cDNA in, in, in data center at this point? That's right, Stacy. Yes, what, yes. What's um, the difference between those architectures? And again, was this sort of the was 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 this the primary driver to to do that so you could actually just be more optimized for these types of applications or? It, it's 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 necessary to do this it seems yeah I, I think what you see is if you want to be you know best in class um you know frankly you, you have to be as efficient as possible on um on, on the silicon die and um there are some gaming features that are not needed in compute and there are some compute features that are not needed in gaming and uh, we did decide to bifurcate the architecture i think that again goes to um, our commitment to these markets. I think gaming is always going to be a very, very important market for us. Um, I think compute, um, you know, we see just a tremendous growth opportunity um, over, you know, the next five years. And so um, that bifurcation of the roadmap, uh, you know, allows us to really optimize uh, for the workload and for, uh, you know, for the, uh, the use case. And um, yes, that's exactly why we did it. Okay, got it. So I want to touch a little on the, on the gaming opportunity now, um, both both PC gaming GPUs as well as consoles. But I guess on, on, on the GPU on the PC side, this is going to be an interesting year for, for gaming GPUs. Both you and your competitor um, look like they have new products that are coming out second half, hopefully. Um, you, you've been closing the gap. I, I know there was a period of time where, there were, where the gap was, was fairly wide, especially on the premium tier. And over the last couple of architectures, I think that gap has been closing. You've been coming up. What do you see in the second half? What is what is the new? Um, I, I don't know if they're if they're calling it Navi two. I'm not sure what the, what the name is. Yeah, big, we. Uh, what is that bringing? Two, yes. I think in terms of, yeah, in terms of um, improvements over the prior Navi, and how do you actually see that competitive environment evolving um, as we kind of move forward on this? Yeah. Um, Stacy, the way we think about our graphics architecture is, um, you know, we actually use that 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 graphics um, architecture across a lot of products, right? Um, yes, you know, there's a lot of anticipation right now um, in the enthusiast market for our big Navi or our Navi two um, or first RDNA two uh, type uh, product, and um, that's important. Again, it's a Halo product, and you know, enthusiasts love to buy the best, and uh, you know, we certainly 
are uh, working on trying to give them the best. Um, that architecture then goes through the entire stack. So if you think about it from you know, mainstream GPUs all the way up through enthusiasts, and that architecture also goes into our game console products, um, as well as our, um, our integrated CPU, you know, GPU or APU products. So um, the investment in the architecture is uh, very, very important for us across that ins- entire consumer product portfolio. And yeah, we're, we're very excited about Navi2. I think it's a, um, you know, it's an important, uh, it's an important product for us. It's one that the teams are working very, very strongly um, on over um, you know, the next uh, number of months. And uh, we look forward to that launch. Got it, got it. Um, how can we think about the prospect for hardware enabled ray tracing? Is this something that we see on the consoles first and then in the PCs, does it come together? Like, how do we think about that? Yeah. So. Uh, the um, the RDNA two architecture that is being used on both the um, the the, uh, the current generation game consoles that are going to launch shortly, um, as well as our our Navi product portfolio um, is um, the same. So uh, you know that's a that's an important uh, feature, and you will see it. I don't know if you will say is it you know before or after. You'll see it in a similar time frame. Um, in terms of what we're trying to do. And, um, you know, the idea there is to, frankly, leverage the ecosystem. Uh, You know, what we've seen is, look, ray tracing is very exciting, um, but you also need the game developers to have the application environment ready uh, for ray tracing. So, you know, the fact that the consoles, as well as um, the the discrete GPUs, will use, you know, a a similar ray tracing um, architecture is actually a positive. And I think is going to accelerate the adoption of ray tracing overall. Got it. And to touch on the consoles a little bit, I, I mean, obviously, like that, this is they've, they've been under pressure at the end of like a seven-year cycle, and we've got a new one now coming. How do you see this cycle potentially playing out versus the last console cycle? Do you think the peak could be higher? Do you think it lasts longer? And I guess just in terms of your own financials, like what does this look like? Um, are, are the margins better? The, 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 the pricing, like like how does this compare versus what we saw for the last one? Which which to, to be fair, was was a, was a very good business for you. It drove like a lot of cash flow, um, and it lasted a long time. It was it was it was actually not, it was a good thing. So, like, how does this one compare? Yeah, so uh, we're very excited about this generation of game consoles. Um, I think it's a uh, you know it's uh, very likely the most anticipated set of products uh, between uh, you know Microsoft and Sony. Uh, people have their favorites, but you know we view it as you know just a great console upgrade cycle. Uh, there is a significant content, you know, you've seen some of that from our customers talking about uh, the amount of GPU horsepower that you see in these consoles. It's, it's really amazing um, the amount of technology you're putting in, um, you know, in these consoles. Uh, we view it as a start of, you know, another, you know, long cycle. Um, you know, in terms of what we see, there is more content. So, you know, you would expect um, a bit, uh, a bit higher ASP, but those ASPs will, um, you know, continue to, um, uh, you know, to see some incremental uh, reductions over time. Um, you know, we expect the units to be similar um, to uh, to the last generation. I mean, is it more or less? I mean, who knows? But, you know, we expect them t- uh, to be similar. I think the, the difference for us is, um, you know, we're, we're really uh, doing more to bring some of the um, the ecosystem together. And I think that is just good for AMD graphics, right? The, 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 the Radeon graphics brand, now you see in consoles, um, you see in PCs, 
Um, you know, we also have um, a, a, uh, an engagement with Samsung on the mobile side, and, and that's, that's all goodness. So um, consoles will be important for us as we ramp the second half of the year. Um, I think typically, you know, you see the, um, the peak years actually be in, you know, year three or year four. So you can see it, you know, continue to, um, you know, be a growth vector for us. Um, from a margin standpoint, uh, consoles are below our corporate average. Um, it is uh, it is something that um, you know we talk about to you know try to make sure investors understand. Um, this is an area where the customer actually invests in the R and D, so they invest upfront, and that results in um, in lower gross margins. But on the operating margin line, you know it's it's good cash generation you know yeah. for the company. Yeah, I'm not convinced the operating margins are necessarily below corporate average gross. Sure, but. Uh, yeah, yes, the, the operating margins, depending on when you look, there yeah. was a time when they were above corporate average, yeah. but you know, as the rest of the corporate average increases, yeah. I think they become closer to corporate average. Yeah, yeah, got it. Um, I want to talk a little bit about sort of the financial transformation that's happened as well. Um, you've given some long-term guidance. Um, if, I, if I kind of work the math properly, it was something like $2.40 plus or minus in, I think, 2023, but can you sort of discuss just the building blocks that get us there in terms of like growth by segment margins, like spending, like how do we get from where we are today, which is incredibly better than where we were already, like we're on good footing, but how do we get to where, to where you see things going over the next few years? Yeah, it's a, um, it's an exciting um, sort of long-term model from my perspective. And, uh, you know, what we're, what we're trying to build is really, you know, a high performance computing company at scale. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, the key tenants of the financial model are, you know, let's call it 20%, uh, you know, plus, uh, you know, CAGR in growth, revenue growth over the next four years. You know, if you actually do the math on that from where we were in 2019, that's, you know, about, you know, double the size of the company. So, you know, that's building significant scale. Uh, you know, that gives us more opportunity to invest, which, you know, high performance computing is, um, you know, is a large investment uh, driver. So we're going to continue to invest in the business, but, you know, we will see some leverage on the model um, in terms of overall, you know, OPEX, uh, you know, let's call it gradually um, as a percentage of revenue um, coming down. Um, and then, you know, we do believe that because um, the products are getting stronger because our penetration in the markets will will get stronger. That uh, we'll see growth in the gross margins. So, um, you know, we see you know gross margins um, on the order of you know fifty percent or greater. And when you put all that together, I think that gives you you know exciting you know model for you know earnings power growth. But the 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 overarching theme is um, you know growth in our target markets. I think we've chosen a set of markets that uh, we are. Um, uh, very excited about, you know, it's an $80 billion TAM, um, you know, even at whatever we ended up in 2020, there's still a lot of growth, you know, opportunity for us. And we think that, you know, even today, um, that that TAM is, is shown to be even more important, right? It's it's very resilient to, you know, sort of the ups and downs of the macro when you, when you think about, you know, people need computing, people need more cloud uh, capabilities. They need, you know, more, um, you know, uh, work from home capabilities. People are buying more gaming systems, and so we've chosen some good markets. And now it's on us um, to execute, you know, both on the product and on the business front. Got it, Lisa. We got about seven minutes left. I want to get to a few of the questions that we have online uh, from from the people watching. Um, question on your supply situation, how's it trending? And do you have enough access to capacity to support upside, especially now that Huawei is potentially shut out of TSMC? 
Yeah. So, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time on uh, managing, you know, sort of the uh, overall supply chain. Um, I would say that the, uh, the way for supply continues to be tight, um, but we are getting what we need, you know, to, uh, to achieve the, uh, the growth expectations that, uh, that we have. And, you know, we, we continue to have a very strong partnership with TSMC as we go through, you know, sort of the puts and takes in the market. Got it. Um, there's a question here on dividend plans. I'm going to expand on this, actually. The, the question here says, um, do you have plans to pay a dividend in the next year? Um, I would actually, if, if, if I was going to phrase this, I'd say just in general, you're obviously in a much better financial footing than, than you were. Like, just what are your thoughts, given that and where things are going around cash usage, capital structure, and, and, and capital return, whether dividends or buybacks or, or, or both at some point? How do we think about that? Yeah, so... Um... I mean, if you look at the overall balance sheet, I, I think that's one of the areas that, um, you know, we feel really proud of, you know, the fact that um, the balance sheet's very strong, you know, we're in a net cash position, you know, we, we have, you know, paid down a lot of the long-term debt that we had, you know, as we look forward, um, you know, we do believe that free cash flow is an important metric to measure the company on. And, um, you know, we're going to continue to work up our, uh, you know, free cash flow margin as, uh, as an important metric. Um, when you look at you know what we'll do, um, our our priority is first and foremost to invest in the business. I think that's what you want us to do as as a growth company. Um, you know we will as uh, as we build up those cash um, you know balances. Think about you know what other things that we might do um, in terms of um, you know other you know shareholder return. Um, you know, but I, I I really do think that you know we're sort of at the beginning of that wave, and so it's too early to talk about when you might. Um, do a dividend, but I think we should, you know, consider it as, you know, number one priority, invest in the business. Um, and then, you know, we will certainly look at, you know, what are our good, you know, returns of capital. And and that's, you know, that's something that we'll develop over the next couple of years. Got it. Thank you. That's helpful. Um, a question here on on the China situation in particular, what are the potential risks to AMD with the ongoing escalation of the trade war and, and some of the other um, uh, geopolitical issues with China? Yeah, it's certainly a topic for those of us um, in the semiconductor industry. Um, from our standpoint, you know, we've been sort of managing that, you know, since last year uh, with, you know, the tariff situation, we've been able to mitigate um, much of that with just diversity in our supply chain. Uh, we continue to watch the new regulations as they come through. Um, you know, we're certainly very committed to meet, you know, sort of the U.S. objectives um, and regulations around China. Um, I think we've been able to manage through that. Uh, from our standpoint, uh, we, we don't do a lot of commercial business, um, you know, in China. Uh, we do have some consumer business um, that's there, uh, but we, uh, you know, we continue to watch that very carefully. Okay. Here's an interesting one. How will TSMC building factories in the U.S. affect company decisions about chip fabrication? <laughs> well, you know, I think this is, um, you know, again, all part of the, the broader question of, um, you know, U.S. manufacturing, which is, you know, on lots and lots of uh, people's minds right now. Look, I think TSMC investing in the U.S. Uh, is a good thing. And, um, you know, certainly one of the things that, uh, you know, we've said, look, um, supply chain diversity, you know, we know now is, is just really, really important. So, you know, we would uh, certainly advocate for not just TSMC, but, you know, other uh, suppliers of ours to, uh, to consider investing in the U.S. Mm -hmm. Got it. Question here on your, <clears throat> excuse me, on your new win um, in NVIDIA's at DGX, um, displacing Intel. Just your thoughts on, on that. What drove that? Why did, why did you, why did you displace them? I've got my own views on that, but I'm curious to hear, um, hear what you say. 
Well, again, um, you know, I think NVIDIA is a very, very strong engineering company. And, um, you know, they looked at what was available and decided what would be best for their system. Look, we're, we're honored to be in the NVIDIA system. I think we are honored to win um, any high profile uh, uh, system that uh, is really pushing the envelope. So, you know, I think it's a, it's really a technical decision more than anything else. I mean, was it, was it just the PCIe 4.0 support or was it broader than that? Uh, you know, again, I, I think um, NVIDIA has commented a bit on, on their selection, but um, I think the, uh, the PCI Gen 4 certainly helped. I think the number of cores and uh, the performance, you know, capability, you know, certainly helped. I think one of the things you find is to feed lots of GPUs, um, you do need a, a pretty strong CPU. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are your thoughts on the competitive environment and potentials for price wars? And again, by the way, this is a question I get a lot um, when it comes to, you know, you, you are taking share, what is Intel going to do about it? So like, how do you think about those risks and, and how do you mitigate them? Yeah, so if you look at, um, you know, the various segments and the, and the dynamics, um, there are actually, um, you know, some, some important things to, to recognize. You know, first and foremost, you know, price wars are not really company friendly. So, um, you know, in general, um, I don't think people like that. Uh, we we view it as it's a technology choice first, and uh, certainly in the server market, it's a technology choice first. Okay, um, you know we were when we were uncompetitive, um, you know we you couldn't drop the price because the total cost of ownership wouldn't be made up on the other side. Um, and and what we see now is um, price is not the determining factor of a a server buying decision. It's a factor, but it's not the determining factor. Um, what we've seen in the marketplace is it's competitive. I mean, there's no doubt about it that it's competitive and we go head to head um, in, um, in, some, in certain opportunities. Um, that being the case, so uh, we believe that, you know, our story is around technology. Um, it's around the range of product set that we have from, you know, sort of the very high end to more mainstream products. And um, I think we feel good about our ability to compete uh, while still, you know, growing our uh, revenue and um, you know overall margins. Got it. So Lisa, we have about 30 seconds left. Um, I'm going to finish this the way I finish all of these. I'm going to give you your soapbox. 30 second pitch. Why should investors buy AMD stock? Look, we are um, very excited about what we can accomplish over the next four or five years. You know, um, our goal is to be um, a growth company, and our aspiration is to be one of the top growth companies in tech. And uh, we think we're in the right markets. Uh, we have built a product execution machine that is uh, very strong. And we've also built a set of customer relationships where uh, we've generated trust in the customer base. So, you know, what that all transition, you know, translates into is, uh, you know, revenue growth, margin expansion, uh, you know, profitability growth, and, you know, hopefully a very exciting business over the next, uh, you know, four or five years. So, by the way, thank you, Stacy, for the time today. We, we, you know, we appreciate uh, spending some time with your audience. Thank, thank you very much. Um, as a reminder to the audience, again, we're doing live polling with um, ProSensus. If you click on that link on the left side of your screen now, you'll see a new window open up with a short poll. It'll take you 60 seconds. You will benefit if you take it from real-time tracking of investor sentiment on AMD. With that, I think we'll close it here. Lisa, thank you so much for being with us here today. I've, I've been thrilled uh, to, to, to have you here. Um, thank you very much and, and have a great day. Great. Thanks, Stacy. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.